Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is John Calendrill. John has spent decades designing and patenting everything from derailers and shifters to dropper posts and brake levers. He's consulted for industry brands including TRP and Box, and now he's got his own company, Vivo, that sells a customizable 12-speed shifter, the Vivo F3. Thanks for joining me, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us about your background. How did you first get into designing bike components? Well, I just wanted to find a way to get into the industry. Hmm. Back in 90, you know, I guess 91, 92. Mm -hmm. Riding bikes, I was doing cross-country races. And a friend of mine, we went to a race in Mount Snow, uh, Vermont. I think it was 91 or 92. And uh, we were just, you know, just so into the the whole scene and 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 the racing and the equipment and the people surrounding the sport and the uh, you know the businesses the tech support mm-hmm. and for me i was just like i would how can i do this full time huh. you know how can i how can i make my 9 to 5 uh require me to ride or mm-hmm. i you know i should be going to these events because i need to so I just wanted to try and get into the industry any way I could. Huh. And the first crazy idea that I came up with was called the Grunge Guard, which was just a, a rubber boot mm-hmm. that protected, you know, front and rear derailers. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I probably had, a, you know, maybe a short list of, of five ideas that I could just create as an intro product. And mm-hmm. the Grunge Guard was kind of the most unique and craziest. So <laughs> I decided to pursue that. Mm. So did you have like a design background? Were you like designing other things and were like, I want to, I want to do bike stuff so I can be around bike people? Yeah, pretty much. I went to school for industrial design, which is basically product design. And I've been working um, in New York City, you know, as a consultant for a lot of firms designing um, anything from packaging to baby bottles to toothbrushes to, you know, airline interiors. Wow. You know, when you work at a, at a, a consultant design firm, you know, you're part of a team and whatever customers they bring in from whatever industry, it could be any industry, you know, you go through an education process and then you start designing that product for that client. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the variety was um, was really wide and, and really challenging and, and, and always very interesting. Yeah, that's cool. That I mean, so many people have that same story about how they got into the bike industry. Like they just really loved it and, you know, try to figure out like where their skills match up with the bike. I mean, today, most people, they're going to like start a YouTube channel or something like, (laughs) but being a product designer, like that's, that's definitely something that the industry needs. And, uh, yeah, like really makes a huge impact. So I want to talk about your, your latest project. Sure. The bike shifters. So mm-hmm. what are some of the limitations of existing mechanical mountain bike shifters and, and what makes the Vivo F3 sort of an improvement? Well, the, uh, the Vivo F3 is kind of my in- incarnation of, of, of what the ultimate shifter would be. Hmm. You know, obviously there are some awesome shifters out there. SRAM and Shimano have great offerings and TRP as well. Um, I just wanted to kind of take it to the next level. I wanted to bring in some, you know, I love CNC aluminum parts mm-hmm. and I wanted to incorporate 3d sh- you know printing and I wanted to also add the uh, aspect of customizable options you know for, mm. for the consumer so 
my shifter, or at least, you know, the F, uh, F3 shifter for now, it's a basic shifter, which basically pulls and releases cable. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some other things uh, coming down the line that, you know, have some additional features. But for this one, it's basically taking the construction to the max, you know, u- using um, CNC aluminum, you know, just really lowering the weight, titanium hardware all around. It's got mm-hmm. um, cartridge bearings, you know, for smooth smooth action. I've got, you know, very, I use different types of aluminums in, in different parts of the shifter, you know, where they're, you know, have the better performance. I use the 7075. And um, then the customize the customizable option, you know, in working in the industry, you know, we would design shifters over months, um, you know, first you perfect the mechanism and then you get into the ergonomics and a lot of the companies that I worked with, you know, you'd work with, um, you know, pro riders and, you know, you'd make some samples and you'd, you'd take, you'd, you'd, you'd get a wide range of, of input from riders. Mm-hmm. This guy likes the lever over here. That guy likes the lever over there. This guy likes, you know, the lever curve this way, mm-hmm. that way. And so I thought, well, why don't we put that whole process in the hands of the consumer? Hmm let them choose what they like, you know, and give them some, you know, incredibly, maybe too many options, (laughs) but, you know, let them choose the, uh, you know, the texture and the shape and the location and all that stuff. So I wanted to kind of, you know, add that too. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I mean, the shifter, I, I imagine too, when you're working with brands like TRP and designing like the whole drivetrain, the shifter is probably like, not the thing that that they spend a lot of time on and as a consumer it's not something that like you're going to upgrade right like you're going to upgrade your derailleur or your cassette yeah. or all the other parts but the shifter is kind of like an afterthought i feel like yeah i think for a lot of guys too but but, but for me i i always had a thing for shifters you know it was it was always you know it's a contact point you know between the bike and and the human hand and for me it was something i was always fascinated about I, you know i loved you know, what Shimano was doing as far as their, their, their release systems, multi-release and two-way release. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the ergonomics of the SRAM shifters. So for me, shifters were something I always kind of, kind of gravitated to. Hmm. And, um, because I, you know, I did some, some time trial shifters for vision, you know, back in the day, I did lots of road, road bike shifters for, hmm. for FSA mm-hmm. back in the day. So for me, shifters were always kind, kind of a special thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. This kind of brings up another question um, in terms of like how you design a product like a shifter where you're saying that you get feedback from riders and it sounds like they're giving you a lot of different feedback, maybe conflicting feedback. Is that, is that pretty common where sometimes, you know, people just want, everybody wants something different or there are times where most people kind of point you in a direction and, and that's like, you know, that's the good design. Yeah, well, well, in the end, you know, it, it kind of it, it needs to come down to kind of like a group consensus on what direction we should move in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, cockpit layout and, and hand positioning, I think it's a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, different riders have different riding styles, diff- bigger hands, smaller hands. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we would get a lot of feedback that was, you know, wide range. Mm. Um, people, you know, some people liked certain positions and then when we would bring it in house we might say oh wow okay this is not what we thought but well this guy's a pro rider so who are we to question it (laughs) 
Right. But, you know, we do, you know, you did, you did need to, to design for the everyday rider because this thing was going to go into production. We were going to be making thousands of these things and we wanted to appeal to the, uh, Mm-hmm. you know, the widest possible uh, group of consumers. Yeah. Interesting. Well, so one of the patents that I read that you hold is a combination brake shifter lever. And that's a design that we see, you know, it's pretty standard on gravel and road bikes today. Where did that idea come from? Um, that must be, that must be an old patent that may have been from the nineties. So I, I think the the idea on that one was basically taking you know the integration of brake and shift that traditionally had been done for road mm-hmm. for many years, and then I I, I think I was trying to um, incorporate that into kind of a, a mountain version. Mm. And I think one of, one of the aspects of that patent was it had a very very flat mechanism. So I was trying to minimize. I think that, you know, the, the frontal visual of, of the shifter. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a project. If, if I'm, I'm talking about the correct one that, yeah, I was kind of just borrowing the road technology, trying to bring it, bring it into the mountain bike world. Mm-hmm. And it also forced me to come up with a really wacky mechanism to make that work. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Uh, um, so it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a challenge, but um, yeah, I think that was a, one of the products that just ended up, you know, as a, mm-hmm. a patent on the wall and um, a, a few, you know, prototypes that I have. I, I don't believe that that went very far. Hmm. It does seem like it's it's pretty applicable today in terms of like bike cockpits becoming, you know, they're super cluttered right now, right? With yeah. all the controls that we need for dropper posts and, you know, now motors and, and everything. So, yeah, I mean, do you think, is that a problem that, that we're going to need to keep addressing in terms of like keeping our cockpits clean yeah well i think i mean a, cl- a clean cockpit visually you know the aesthetic is, is awesome but you know i think once you start to integrate brake and shifter you 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 start locking in the ergonomics you you start mm. losing some adjustability a clean minimal cockpit is awesome but what you want you still want some adjustability on location mm-hmm. of levers and angle of levers so it's really hard to do to combine both of those features. Yeah. So with electronic drivetrains becoming more common, a lot of riders are wondering if mechanical systems are going to eventually go away. So what's what's kind of your take on that? Yeah, that, that's a very, very interesting thing. I'm kind of a, um, I mean, I love the electronic shifting because of the, um, basically the programming and the quote unquote intelligence that you get with the electronics mm-hmm. on that, you know, the shifting is, is consistent and, and reliable. Um, I'm kind of like a, a traditional guy. I do like the simplicity of cable moving a derailleur. I think you still get an awesome shift mm-hmm. um, with, with the cable systems of today. Um, you know, there, there's no charging. There, there are no catastrophic failures that you could experience out on the trail. Yeah. I think they'll both have their place. I think, you know, electronics are just going to keep getting better and better, mm-hmm. but there'll probably be a little segment, you know, where mechanical always hangs in there. Yeah. I mean, is it, I imagine part of it is, is price too. I mean, like inexpensive kind of entry level bikes, like, do you think electronic would ever get to that level or is it, is it more, does it make more sense to stick with mechanical in that situation? I think as as the manufacturing gets more more sophisticated, I, I think they can bring the electronic down to a pretty low price point. Hmm. 
you know, the, the components, at least on the, on the shift, the shifter side are, are relatively inexpensive. You know, the derailers are pretty, I hate to use the term, but maybe overbuilt. Hmm. And there's a lot of expense and weight uh, on the derailers. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, as manufacturing moves forward, you know, they find ways um, for any new te technology to bring it, you know, further and further down on the price point. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what about mechanical derailers? You think there's still room to improve those? Like, are we going to see lighter weight ones or, you know, just, just more reliable ones in the future? Is, is there room for that? Yeah, I think, you know, the derailer, you know, the derailer, that's another thing that's just been, it's such an archaic old, old design. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely room for, for improvement. I, I think we'll, we'll probably start to see some some better um, mounting um, structures uh, for mechanical rear derailers. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, you know we can we can simplify um, some of the construction. Um, I mean, I, there have been many attempts to to move away from the the parallelogram structure, hmm. which is super old and super archaic, but right. it's just super effective. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of a lot of patents out there for linear moving derailers or derailers that move on an arc track or all kinds of anti-parallelogram derailers. But when you start building them and putting them out there in the in the they don't hold up as well. Hmm. Yeah. So I think you know you will see some improvements, that, but they might, they might be you know minor. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you mentioned sort of the the challenges or or perhaps the ability to improve how derailers are mounted what makes derailleur hangers necessary i feel like these days people um especially with with shram you know moving to the universal derailleur hanger and then moving to direct mount people started saying why did we even have derailleur hangers in the first place those were those were dumb what what was the purpose of them and and do you think do you think we can we can get rid of them yeah, I think we can definitely get rid of them. I mean, I love the coaxial direct mount because you're mounting the derailleur directly to the axis of the cassette, which is the component that it needs to interact with. So, right. you know, why not have a perfect alignment right there? I think, der you know, derailleur hangers were really just, you know, carried over from hmm. the old days, you know, when, you know, that's that's when old, you know, old road bikes were built. Um, with you know little hanger tabs, <laughs> and as bikes move evolved into mountain bikes, you know with the early guys, you know they just they, that was the that was the hmm. the tab hanging on all the frames. Was it, did it have something to do with like tolerances back then? Like they couldn't get the all the bikes to to be exactly the same, like in terms of the rear end and how that would like made up to the wheels and the and the cassette, or was it? Was it to protect the derailleur? Was it all of that? Um, you know, I don't know. I think I think obviously the the uh, the idea where the derailleur hanger would become a an intentional fail point from impact. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that came from mountain biking, mm. um, and I think that that's a good thing. You know, where you you wouldn't destroy your frame. Although when mm -hmm. the derailleur gets hit and the hanger fails, your where does your derailleur go into your rear wheel? <laughs> Right. And that's, that's, that's a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there, there were a lot of frame, you know, frame builders, a lot of independent builders, you know, all building their own dropouts and, and the, the derailleur hanger dimensions, you know, they would always, they would always move and vary. And that was, you know, that, that was a problem. Um, that's why, you know, the SRAM UDH, um, it was a, it was a standard, 
item, you know, made in high quantity by, you know, a solid manufacturer that really used the um, rear axle as its mm-hmm. orientation point, you know, even mm-hmm. though it was a, it was a derailleur hanger, it was oriented at the, um, right. at the rear axle point. And then, I mean, ultimately that, you know, that is the point where you want to register your derailleur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, so you mentioned that the design for derailleurs has been around a long time and, and obviously bikes have been around for a very long time, more than a hundred years. Um, and the basic form of bikes hasn't changed a lot. So what's your take? Like aside from e-bikes, is the the pace of innovation in the bike world slowing, accelerating? Is it kind of, have we reached a plateau? I think, you know, I think the bike industry is just so, well, it was so steeped in traditionalism hmm. and, um, you know, what had come before. I mean, I, I think now we're starting to see, you know, some, some, pretty interesting innovations, um, electronically, but it's still, you know, it's still hard that, uh, to get away from some, some of the traditional philosophies, you know, it, mm. it's, you know, it's really, um, it's amazing that we still have an exposed drivetrain, <laughs> yeah. you know, a chain and, and cogs and, a you know, a mechanical thing that moves the cop, the chain in and out, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty archaic. Although, you know, today's are, they're super refined and super accurate and super beautifully designed. Mm-hmm. You know, the overall concept is it's an exposed, <laughs> you know, mechanical mechanism that we're right. riding. Yeah. Where out. else we're, do you see that? We're riding at and nowhere, you know, yeah. Yeah. we're riding out in the elements. So yeah, it's, it's a fascinating topic. <laughs> yeah. You're right. And it, it makes it interesting to me that like with your shifters, you're able to take something that's existed for so long and to like rethink it and to say, well, wait, like, why do we do it like this? Or why couldn't we improve this thing that, that we've all been using for a long time and we've gotten used to it and we're like, this is fine. But, but yeah, it's interesting that there are still these areas where we can innovate and improve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the shifter, the F3 shifter, it's, it's really, it's, um, it's a shifter taken like to the artisan level, you know, it's almost like, you know, uh, performance art mm-hmm. in a way, you know, but the construction is super solid and, you know, the mechanism mechanism is really, really robust. I wanted to come up with something that, that had, you know, a really nice action to it. Mm. You know, there'd never been a CNC shifter before, um, and then there, you know, the adjustability had never been, you know, out, out there before. Yeah. Well, I mean, shifters are to me, you know, they're kind of a mystery. I mean, every now and then you get to pop one open and, you know, replace a cable and you see inside there, there's all these little pieces, springs and ratchets and right. little screws and things. So you're manufacturing and assembling the Vivo F3 shifters in the U S um, how's that going? Is that, is that tricky to do? I love doing it <laughs> because I love, I love these crazy little mechanisms. You know, I know this mechanism inside and out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've designed, you know, so many mechanisms over the, over the years. And I think this is one of my best. It's very basic. Um, it works really well. Mm. It's really enjoyable and satisfying to assemble these things, you know, put, put the springs in place and the, the parts, you know, when they're mm-hmm. fit just right. I mean, it's, it, it's great. And uh, the lubrication part of it is, is fun and enjoyable. 
Yeah. So I, I enjoy it. You know, I, I have kind of a, a library of, of, of me- crazy mechanisms that I have, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll, we'll, I'll, some of those will come out, hmm. you know, later on, but yeah, I, I enjoy shifters. <laughs> you know, for me, it's, um, you know, me- mechanical shifters are, you know, ergonomically, I think even more important than an electronic shifter where you're just, you know, it's a, electronic shifters. It's a fairly light touch and you're just basically, you know, mm-hmm. clicking a button with, with mechanical shifters, you know, there's more force involved. Mm-hmm. So the mechanic, the uh, ergonomics and the feel are more important because you're, you're pulling a cable. There's a little bit more force on the thumb and the fingers. And so to tune that in just right, I think is hmm. gives you a better ride. Yeah. How many pieces are involved in uh, the F3? Um, I think they're about um, between mm, 23 or 27 pieces somewhere in there. Okay. All the pieces combined, you know, that includes springs and CNC pieces and 3D printed pieces and uh, bearings. And hmm. Yeah. Is this something that that a buyer could service or, or replace a part on their own uh, if they if they had an issue? Yeah, I think so. The mechanism is completely dis, you know you completely disassemble it. It's it's fairly easy to you know replace a part. You know, pull a part out. You know, you can blow it out with a compressor and clean it if you want. You can relube it if you want. Mm. Yeah, I would say anything above the on uh, on the top end of the mechanism, you can you can just unbolt and then rebolt. Mm-hmm. You know, with with you know with just kind of you know fairly decent mechanical knowledge, you can do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's definitely one of the things that, especially a lot of older riders who who started out with mechanical systems and are now seeing these electronic systems mm-hmm. uh, come in. You know, I mean, I think the thing that we like about the mechanical systems is that we can one, we can understand them probably a lot easier than the electronics, but two, um, we can work on them ourselves at home. And so, yeah, I mean, is that something that you as like a product designer and, you know, now as someone who, who sells shifters, I mean, is this something that you want to like empower people to do on their own because it is mechanical and because it is kind of simple to do? Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, giving the, giving the consumer to kind of, you know, change the, the paddles on the F3 shifter, that's, that's just the first step, you know, taking control mm-hmm. of, of the ergonomics there, you know, unbolting one and, and re-screwing in another one. If you don't like that, you change it out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, on the mechanical side, you know, I, you know, all in the, in the testing phase of the F3, you know, my rider guys, they, they would, they would pull the, uh, the outer housing off mm-hmm. and, you know, re-lube, re-lube the, um, the mechanism if needed, you know, you know, check for wear and anything. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's, it's simple enough where someone could go in there and see what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, in like the sort of larger conversation about like right to repair and things, you know, you're seeing again, like bikes are not the only industry that are, that are seeing this with things getting more complicated. And in a lot of other industries, it seems like companies are trying to protect their well their revenue streams right like they they only want to have their people working on their stuff and you know so far in in my kind of experience and impression it seems like the bike industry is not trying to go that way that that we 
we do have this tradition of like working on our own gear and mm-hmm. having these independent shops that are able to work on gear. And so, yeah, it seems like, like the F3 is, is kind of in that same vein of DIY and like letting people kind of have more control over their equipment. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love, I love that aspect of it. And yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of the bike parts are kind of, you know, disposable in a way, you know, mm-hmm. once a certain part of it fails, you know, you have to throw it out and you just, you just replace it. Yeah. Um, you know, I like the, uh, the possibility of, of, of rebuilding and, and retrofitting parts mm. like that. Um, you know, when I first started out, I would, I would collect shifters, old shifters from Shimano and, um, shifters from Suntour and, you know, I'd open them up and I'd see how they work mm-hmm. and there's a lot of crazy things out there, you know, but it all comes down to at the bottom line, you know, on the mechanical side, you know, pulling and releasing a cable, mm. but how you do it, you know, there are a lot of different, different ways to, to solve that. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, thought that was fascinating over the years. Yeah. Well, how different are like Shimano and SRAM? Let's say, let's say 12 speed, you know, the one that, that most of us are using, like, are they both, pulling the the cable roughly the same amount like is it is it consistent like from shift to shift you're pulling it the same one millimeter or whatever every shift or is it like increasing or decreasing like do they both kind of handle it the same way yeah well they both the SRAM and Shimano systems in total they're close but they pull slightly different at, at certain points in the cassette you know, roughly they do, you know, from cog to cog, they roughly pull about the same okay. amount, but it varies. But if you look at the mechanisms, I mean, SRAM has done an, an awesome job. And I think they've done this throughout the years of, of, of simplifying things mm, Okay. and, and, you know, getting an end uh, result or an end um, performance, you know, with, with, with very few parts. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you look at a, uh, a Shimano, a Shimano shifter and you try and take that thing apart, if, you know, if you, if you don't do it correctly, it's just going to explode on you. There are so <laughs> many, so many more parts on the Shimano side, hmm. you know, that basically achieve, you know, I mean, Shimano does have a slightly different release feature where you can have, have a multi-release, but, um, you know, Overall, Shimano, Shimano's are much more complicated than, than the SRAMs, hmm. and the the, TR, the TRP has a, has an awesomely robust and fairly simple mechanism as well. I mean, that's hmm. that one was ex- executed really, really well. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, I'm also curious about like sort of the role that patents play in all of this. Like, and you're saying that that the Shimano and the SRAM shifters are are pretty similar. Is that because there aren't like patent protections in place or they've all expired. And so everybody's able to kind of coalesce around these designs that are kind of the best designs. Like, like our patents, do they play a big role in how products are designed in the bike industry today? Yeah, they, they, they play a, a huge, a huge role. And, and just to cl- clarify, um, the SRAM and Shimano are only similar as far as cable pull. Okay. But the actual mechanisms, me- mechanisms are, are very different. Hmm. So Yeah. The patents, and you know, this is becoming a little bit less relevant these days because we're moving toward electronic. But but the patents are huge barriers hmm. as far as how you're going to pull and release cable. 
Um, so there are lots of patents out there on the mechanisms, on the internal mechanisms of how you're going to pull and release cable, also the placement of the levers. Mm -hmm. And Shimano, they're constantly filing. So it's, it's something that you constantly have to keep up on. Mm. And basically, you're, you know, when, when you conduct your patent research, and you read you first of all you've got to find all these things then you've got to read them then you have to interpret them and right, in the that's end, hard interpreting yeah, for sure yeah, yeah. because the, the language on some of these things is gets 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 crazy but basically in the end you're finding out you're only finding out what you cannot do <laughs> so you can't do this you right. can't do that you can't do this you can't do that well what's left mm -hmm. well hopefully something that's left is valuable and you know will achieve performance so that whole thing is a is a is a big challenge yeah interesting not always fun yeah well so but even something like a shifter there's still active patents a lot of them that you have to kind of work around or i mean because patents in the u.s anyway they last what roughly 20 years or so 17 yeah yeah 17 to 20 yeah yeah so there, you know there's some old ones that are still in effect I think I think they're starting to file, you know, less mm -hmm. um, because the development on mechanical shifters is, is probably not progressing at the rate that it was, you know, in past years. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you, you yeah, you certainly need to know what not to do because you know they'll if they want to they'll shut you down. Yeah, is that common? I mean, do, are lawyers a big part of the industry as well? Where they they will be aggressive in terms of like protecting these patents well if their client being shimano tells them to they will <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> or right. ask them to they will so yeah and you know i don't know what the factors are whether they you know when they decide to take action mm -hmm. whether it's uh, how many units you start to sell or who knows but you don't want to try and guess on what that might be so you just right. you, you steer clear <laughs> of it yeah as, as best you can yeah interesting well, getting back to the the Vivo F3 shifters, obviously, um, like we said, you're you're manufacturing, assembling in the U.S. Do you foresee challenges with with scaling that domestically? Like, it seems like a lot of brands, you know, when they're smaller, they're able to to do it in the U.S. But then you hit some point and you you have to go uh, overseas. Is do you do you see that with with shifters as well? With what I'm doing, I'm I'm going to intentionally keep it small. Okay. Um, I don't need to blow this thing up and, and go crazy and, you know, have parts, you know, made in, in high quantities. So, um, I mean, if it would to be scaled, then I would have to probably redesign, make the parts, uh, more economical to make, you know, right mm -hmm. now that, you know, this was like a shifter that had no limitations, you know, always, always when I was designing for companies, you know, there were cost parameters, mm. you know, we need to hit this cost or, you know, this part is too expensive. That part is too expensive. This is something I designed and with no limitations, mm -hmm. I, I, I made the parts however I wanted them. It didn't matter how expensive they were going to be because I was going to see and see them. Mm -hmm. There wasn't going to be any, you know, big upfront tooling charges where I'm making a mold for $20,000, you know, to stamp out, you know, thousands and thousands of pieces. You know, each piece was going to be CNC'd. Mm -hmm. So this was meant to be kind of a, a boutique product mm -hmm. and will probably, you know, stay that way. Yeah. Interesting. Well, well which is like more 
I guess the word is rewarding for you, like in terms of you personally, like, is it, is it more rewarding to, to design something with all those constraints or, or are you enjoying being able to, to design without constraints? Um, honestly, I love, I love both. I mean, I, I, I've designed some lower cost products, uh, with Tektro that, you know, I'm very proud of, um, that at a low price point, we've, you know, achieved an awesome product and that was a challenge in its own way. Mm -hmm. And those products are out there in the market and that's, you know, an incredible feeling. And then on the crazy inside, you know, insane high end, you know, I like what I'm doing now. That's just as much fun Hmm. because it's, you know, it's your own creation, you know, you know, without limitation Mm -hmm. and um, it's just, it's just fun. So they, they both been fun and they're, you know, they're both rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Is there, do you have plans for uh, a front derailleur shifter or do you think uh, front derailleurs are are pretty much dead for, for most riders? (laughs) Yeah, I, I have no plans for a front, a front derailleur shifter. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think though that like is, is where we're at now, like with 12 or 13 speeds, is that, is that going to be enough for us pretty much going forward? (laughs) Or do you think there's going to be a need for like 14 or 15, or are we going to go back to to having a two by drivetrain or three by honestly you know um that would be funny if we went to if we went to two by and back to three by um <laughs> so you're saying it's not going to yeah. happen yeah yeah i don't think so but it's just interesting when you say when you use the word you know do you, do you think we need this or need that you know sometimes what comes out in the market you know is not really what's needed but it's just something that mm might be you know part of a a marketing Hmm. effort yeah you know i don't know i mean i think i mean i like i definitely like the trend of simplicity that we've been on since you know the you know eagle first came out and you know Mm -hmm. removing the front derailleur uh removing the 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 front shifter moving all you know more gears to the to the back cog Mm mm-hmm so yeah, it's yeah. hard to predict, you know, the bike industry is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so what's next for Vivo? You mentioned you've got some stuff. I'm sure you don't, don't necessarily want to give away all your secrets, but, but like, what are, what are kind of the opportunities or the things that you see or, or where do you want to like take this, this company? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just enjoying, uh, enjoying very much I'm, uh, working with, working with TRP. We're doing some great stuff on TRP, both um, electronic and, and mechanical. And, you know, I, I'm going to continue with what I'm doing with Vivo, just coming up with, you know, at, kind of out-of-the-box components, you know, like with no limitations. You know, the mm. F3 shifter is the first. I have some other ideas that, you know, will probably add some additional, more interesting shifting features to them. Mm-hmm. It'll, you know, I'll keep it like high-end CNC stuff. Um, I mean, it was a challenge to come up with a shifter that was, you know, all CNC, you know, rather than hmm. creating tooling. But also on the Vivo side, you know, I've, I'm, I'm right. I've written a book about my my business experiences. I have a hmm. part one of my book, which is called Shifting Gears, <clears throat> is out now. Oh, great. And it, it covers 30 years of, you know, my insane journey. <laughs> through through the bike industry goes all the way back to you know those days that i mentioned earlier of, of, of uh 
driving home from the, the race in Mount Snow and just wondering, you know, how can I get into, into this industry? What can I do? And then mm -hmm. how do I do it? Going to my first trade show and, 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 uh, lining up buyers and manufacturers and, you know, working with, uh, with Fox and FSA and box components and Shimano and, you know, all the crazy things that happen behind the scenes. Um, mm. I kind of just explain the whole deal. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's an interesting. It's yeah. Interesting. Well, looking back, do you have any regrets about that decision to, to join the bike industry or, or do you, no. do you ever wish you're, you're designing baby bottles still? No, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm, you know, I pinch myself sometimes today. I'm just like, I, you know, I'm so blessed to be able to do this full time. You know, this is, this is awesome. I mean, I can, go out for a ride and I'm saying, Oh, you know, well, I have to, I have to ride today because I have to test, I have to test <laughs> some work. parts and, yeah. you know, I have to tell, I have to ride tomorrow too, because I have to test this and that. And, oh, this, you know, this cool set of wheels came out and that cool part came out. Well, I've got to buy those because you know I've got to stay current with the industry. <laughs> right. Research, you know? Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I love it. It's great. It's really, uh, it's really a blessing to be able to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, John, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and, and share a little of your experience. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll have to check out your, your book as well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for the time. I really had fun. Yeah. So you can get more info, check out the shifters at vivocycling.com. And we'll have that link in the show notes. So we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.